I think that here in the United States that we can do better and that the federal government can play a role and that the federal government can work with labor and can work with management and that this country can move again and that we don't have to stand still and we don't have to be satisfied with the status quo. And I think that's what happened under President Kennedy, the Democratic Party and Lyndon Johnson. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Call Back Yesterday. I'm John Raby. A couple episodes ago, you heard my old friend Kathy Lewan talking about working with my dad, W.T. Raby, at the University of Detroit back in the 1960s. Kathy, I didn't know until you told me on the phone just the other day, or I didn't remember, that you worked in my dad's PR office at the University of Detroit. What, what years was that? Must have been like about 60, 67, 68, and 69, probably. So you missed the Beatles. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, we saw Bobby Kennedy Thank there. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. That tape of RFK came from my dad's huge archive, which includes pretty much anybody who came through Detroit in the 50s and 60s, from Robert Frost to Robert Kennedy, from Dick Gregory to the Beatles. And I thought lots of you might like to call back the yesterday of 1966 when Robert Kennedy came to town. I've got his whole speech on tape, and we're going to listen to it. To set the scene, let me bring in Ed Schmidt. He teaches history at the University of Wisconsin Parkside in Kenosha. He's the author of President of the Other America, Robert F. Kennedy, and the Politics of Poverty. Ed, thanks for riding in our time machine. Thanks for having me along, John. So I sent you this tape uh, a few days ago, and you listened to it. Had you heard it before? No, I had not heard that particular speech before. Would it have changed your book? Uh, <laughs> it probably wouldn't have, but it was it was really fun to listen to, um, and it really was a window into a particular moment in time, which really, you know, the year 1966 m- might not evoke the same kinds of immediate memories that, say, 1967 or 1968 or 1969 might have, but it really is an interesting moment when the speech took place, um, given the year, and also given the fact, obviously, that it was just a, a few days before uh, an election. So it was kind of a pivot point in a lot of ways that, that things were about to turn in some new directions uh, very shortly thereafter. All right, let's get to the tape. The day is October 29, 1966. The setting is the University of Detroit Memorial Building. And before we hear RFK, we're going to hear the introductions that were given by the uh, Democratic luminaries of the time. The master of ceremonies at this event is the then mayor of Detroit, Jerry Kavanaugh. We'll also hear from G. Menon Williams, who was running for U.S. Senate. He'd been governor of Michigan through the 50s, and he also served in the Kennedy administration. There's Zoltan Ferency, the head of the Michigan Democrats for a time, who was running for governor in 1966. And there's Congressman John Conyers, who had just been elected the year before, and he'd served for 52 years. And welcome, and we particularly would like to welcome our distinguished guest of honor, Senator Kennedy, to... uh... Senator, we're delighted to have you here in the city that Ralph Nader made famous, and we assure you of a most warm, uh, gracious welcome. I really uh, have never seen the response to one of my speeches that I just received a few minutes ago when you walked in. Magnificent. And I'm most pleased at this point to introduce to you the congressman uh, that is my congressman. I'm one of his constituents, as are many of the people in this room. And this uh, fine field house sits in the middle of his district. It's with a great deal of pleasure that I'd like to introduce to you a very young and articulate, liberal and effective congressman from the 1st Congressional District, Representative John Conyers. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. To our next uh, governor, Zoltan Ferency, to our great and wonderful Governor G. Menden Williams going to the Senate, to our magnificent congressional delegation that's with me today, 
friends, Americans, Democrats, all. I'm very, very pleased that this occasion would occur in the first congressional district. We have here as our guest today, of course, America's great prophetic leadership in the Kennedy tradition in, our, in the form of our great Senator Robert Kennedy of New York. We're very, very pleased to have him with us. But what's more important, what's more important is going to be what we individually do here after we leave this great university today. Whether we're going to take the message of the Democratic Party and of the 89th Congress of the Great Society program to each of our friends, each of our neighbors, and to make America what it ought be. You know, I've just uh, heard a very great phrase that it seems to me sums up what brings all of us here today. It was said a number of years ago by Thomas Wolfe. So then, to every man his chance, to every man his golden shining opportunity, to every man his right to live, to work, to be himself, and to become whatever thing his manhood and his courage would combine to make him. This is the promise of America, and this is the promise of all of our great candidates here today. Thank you very, very much. Thank you very much, Representative Conyers. And our next speaker has, as you know, in the last several months, really electrified this state. There's a certain Republican candidate that's going through the state, uh, looking rather wistfully, though, at uh, a home in Washington. While he's doing that, our next speaker has been battling to create really a better state in which to live and to work and to raise our families. This is an uphill fight, but you know that our next speaker is a most courageous battler, and he's articulated in a way that many candidates in years gone by have been unable to. The real issues that confront all of us as citizens of this state, indeed as Americans. It's with a great deal of pleasure that I present now to you Michigan's own happy warrior, the next governor of our state, Zoltan Ferency. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much, Mayor Kavanaugh, Reverend Clergy, Sisters, Governor Williams, our distinguished guest, Senator Bobby Kennedy, all the distinguished people. I've been trying to keep up with uh, Senator Kennedy all morning. That's why I've got a Kennedy haircut now. It's uh, pretty difficult to do. Actually, I'm here representing our governor. He couldn't make this one here today. Uh, actually, he tried to make it, but we came in and Willow Run and fooled him. He's still out there at Metropolitan Airport waiting for the. But it's a real pleasure for me to be here, seriously. And I'm not going to take much of your time because the senator has very, very poignant remarks to make to you. I would say only that on behalf of all of the Democrats, and all of the candidates that we have here, and I'm sure on behalf of all of the people of the state of Michigan, we welcome into our midst an outstanding American, a man who kept to the family tradition of public service, and a man who brings into the arena of politics a breath of fresh air, a man who continually looks to the future, a man who approaches it with courage and with vigor, and a man who has confidence and optimism in the future course of politics and the future course of America. Now, I think that's the real message that uh, Senator Kennedy is going to give us here today. And I'm very, very proud that I'm going to have an opportunity, just as you, to sit here and listen to a great American. Thank you all so very much for coming. God bless you. Thank you very much, Sultan. I said a few moments ago something that certainly uh, probably bears some repetition, and that is that today, at this point in time in America, we need, above all else, men of uh, great vision 
and great leadership in the United States Senate. And I think here in Michigan, we're indeed most fortunate because we will have the opportunity on November the 8th to cast a vote for our next United States Senator in behalf of a man who has demonstrated for many, many years the outstanding vision and great qualities of leadership which he obviously possesses. I don't have to repeat his many years of dedicated public service and the things that he was doing politically when they weren't too fashionable to be done, but I think that really and truly the eyes of the country are on uh, the state of Michigan for what we do here will have a most profound impact upon not only our lives in Michigan, but upon the lives of many people throughout America. And I don't think we as citizens of this state can afford either to let ourselves down or let this man down by not making sure that he is elected as our next United States Senator. It gives me a great deal of pleasure now to introduce to you the great candidate and the great Democrat, G. Menon Williams, our next United States Senator. Thank you very, very much, Mayor Kavanaugh, our honored and distinguished uh, guests whom I will introduce in a few moments, the next governor of the state of Michigan, Zoltan Ferency, <laughs> Congressman Conyers, in whose district we are, Distinguished members of the State Administrative Board, congressmen, fellow candidates, fellow Democrats, and friends. Well, I must say, Mayor, that I'm glad that we did get on the platform together before the uh, television uh, cameras fighting on the same side instead of against each other. God bless you. Today, it's been tremendously exciting traveling with our guest of honor because he brings back to us an echo of something that we in Michigan felt very strong. And that was in 1960, a man who was destined to become one of our greatest presidents pledged to the American people that he would get our country moving again. And you and I know that in the years that followed, the United States moved ahead in every area of our society. And it was that forward-looking, progressive attitude that made the blood of all Americans tingle. And we in Michigan, who had the opportunity of coming out early to espouse the candidacy of President Kennedy, had the thrilling experience of working with our guest of honor. I know that you have been waiting long to hear him speak, so I'm not going to spend any further time except to say this. I had the rich opportunity in working in the State Department to work with our guest of honor when he was Attorney General. And I can tell you that as Attorney General, his mind was not limited to the somewhat comprehensive problems of the Department of Justice, but he had a universal grasp of everything that was going on in our country and throughout the world, and even the African continent 
received his personal attention. And as he went on to the Senate, he followed his interest in the freedom and development of people who were less fortunate than ourselves. And he comes here today in that great spirit of interest in people and in freedom and in a better life for all of the people, not only of the United States, but of the entire world. And so it's a great honor, a privilege to present to you, because the whole world knows him, the senator from New York, our own dear friend, Bobby Kennedy. Before we talk about the speech, Ed, was there anything in the introductions that really stood out to you um, besides the unfortunate fact that they introduced John Conyers as articulate? Right, right. Yeah. Um, the only thing that kind of struck me was just the joke uh, that Kavanaugh made about um, he and William, Williams being on the same side um, because they had run against one another for the Democratic nomination to, to run for the Senate. And, and that actually I, I had forgotten about. Huh. Um, but aside from that, it was pretty, seemed like pretty standard fare uh, in terms of the introduction. And nice and short. Yeah, for sure. This was not a boring, you know, I think they kept everybody to like two minutes. G-Men and Williams is a lot more boring than I expected he'd be. Right, right. Yeah, because yeah, people, you know, a lot of times you hear stories about him, and apparently, you know, people had a lot of affection for him as a politician, but as a speaker, he was fairly two-dimensional. <laughs> so. Where was Robert F. Kennedy in 1966? I mean, he was he was a senator, but what was he doing at this point? You know, like, was he barnstorming? Yeah, was... full-on barnstorming. I mean, really the fall, the, the September and October, right up to Election Day, that's what his main job was, was flying around the country um, in key states and key parts of states to try to campaign for uh, Democratic candidates. And he was in more in higher demand as uh, uh, someone who was going to advocate for you than any other Democrat in the country. He was at the really the, the peak of his popularity. Um, many of your listeners may know or remember that he was first elected just two years earlier, and he didn't really win by an overwhelming margin when he was elected to the Senate mm-hmm. in New York. But he really uh, parlayed his election into um, establishing himself as a national figure and started to create an image and a stature that could stand on its own, even apart from the legacy of his brother. So he was really at the peak of his popularity uh, at this moment when he comes to Detroit. And yet you'll hear in the speech... And I, I promise everybody we're going to play it, but I just wanted to give you the proper groundwork here. Um, you'll hear in the speech many times he refers to JFK. I assume then that was standard. He knew he knew that they wanted to hear him talk about his slain brother, the the, the martyr who was JFK. Very much so, yeah. And you could really, you know, over the the course of um, you know the, when he was running himself in 1964 up through 65, 66, gradually. And again, your listeners might not could uh, maybe feel like it's difficult to imagine how he would invoke him um, more than he already did. He talked about his brother less and less as time went on because he was, again, sort of standing on his own two feet as a political figure. But but certainly the, the currency of kind of the blessing of the, the martyred president was something that any, any Democrat would want to have, have had bestowed upon them if they were running for office in 1966. And, and Robert Kennedy knew that as, as well as any. Okay, now let's turn it over to Robert F. Kennedy. Again, this is October 29, 1966, at the U of D Memorial Building. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Selfie Williams, distinguished members of Congress, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted to be here. I, most of these trips, as one travels around the country, one stands on one's feet and says something nice about somebody else. And usually it's so rushed, nobody can 
say anything nice about me. So uh, I like that. I just wanted to say it was one of the highlights of my visit. As I just sat there and I thought it was going to go on for 10 or 15 minutes and I just want to thank all of you. One of the uh, major reasons that I wanted to come to Michigan, it had been scheduled at an earlier date, but one of the major reasons I wanted to come to Michigan uh, was because of my high regard for Men and Williams. I knew of uh, his record as governor of this state, and I think that uh, perhaps now in 1966, that perhaps it's possible that people forget that, forget that really uh, what he did in this state, not just what he accomplished for the people of the state of Michigan, but really the fact that he was a forerunner of many of the social and progressive measures that were accepted in other states at later dates and accepted even by the federal government. And nobody contributed really more than more, nobody contributed more to the far-thinking, far-sighted thinking than Sophie Williams did. If we talk about taking an interest in the poor, we talk about in, taking an interest in those who are deprived, if we talk about taking an interest in those that are handicapped or those who are discriminated against, or we talk about making an effort to ensure that everybody has a decent education and everybody has a decent job, then I think we think of Menem Williams and when he was governor of the state of Michigan. I don't uh, come to the state of Michigan to tell people in the state of Michigan how to vote, but I do come to the state of Michigan to tell you how highly regarded Sophie Williams is and how badly he's needed in the United States Senate. I can tell you the high regard that he is held in, uh, not just in your own state, because you know that yourself, but I can tell you the high regard he's held in in Washington, D.C., by those who work with him for three years, including myself, and I can tell you the high regard he's held in all over the United States, just because of the record that he's established, just because he stands for integrity, and because also he stands for somebody who gets things done. I worked with him closely for the three years while I was Attorney General, and he was in the State Department. And I know how highly he was regarded by all those who were associated with him in the State Department and the feeling of affection and admiration that President Kennedy had for Ben and Williams. So I'm very pleased and I'm very uh, grateful for the opportunity to come out here to see my friend and see him just uh, nine days before he's elected as Senator from the State of Michigan. And then I might add, I, I'm glad to see him because it uh, means that there'll be somebody who will have less seniority than me in the United States Senate, <laughs> who's a Democrat. Where I sit in the United States Senate, you can't turn around and see anyone. I need a sort of a special pass, not just to get into the Senate, but get my desk. I have to bring my desk with me. <laughs> so when Men and Williams comes, we're going to trade places and I'll be able to wave to him in the back seat. So I'm delighted. And I'm very, very pleased to uh, have an opportunity to support an uh, old associate whose name is well known to us all, Zoltan. <laughs> just a quick interruption here. This is funny because just a few weeks ago, LBJ had mispronounced Ferenczi's name. Ferenczi. <laughs> that shout? I'm pretty sure that's my dad's voice. I know it. We were talking about the about names on the car as we went along. And I told him how fortunate he was to have a name like that. It st stood out. <laughs> and I had to stumble over just an ordinary, with, with me, it's just an ordinary name. <laughs> you know, that he's uh, very likely going to be elected to, He's going to be elected anyway, but he's very apt to be elected just because of his name. Because everybody will know the name by the time. And uh, this doesn't make me bitter. I had to work my own way up. 
นั้นไอ้ผมเพลย์สเพราะคุณเรียนมากเพราะคุณต้องเริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไรแล้วก็เริ่มจากไม่มีอะไร Honesty and and knowledge of the law. <laughs> Finally, I became attorney general. RFK is funny and he's self-effacing, and I just didn't expect that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think it was, you know, it was surprising to a lot of folks who saw him in those kinds of events, as opposed to the sound bites on television. Um, very much self-deprecating humor, and and he really enjoyed that. It's a real Horatio Alger story. <laughs> But Zoltan Ferenczi is going to be the uh, next governor of the state of Michigan, so I was delighted to have an opportunity to come out and see him, and talk with him, so that we can work together, the state of New York and the state of Michigan. As he told me, and as we discussed, he's run, I suppose, the best-run campaign uh, across the United States because he's worked his campaign in such a way that he didn't peak too early, and. Uh, <laughs> He has like, permitted all of this national attention on his opponent, and now he's come along himself and one of the best known of all of the figures, not only in the state of Michigan but really across the country. I think because, really, because of the fact of his own record and his own career and the the effort that he's made here in the state of Michigan. There are a lot of people that would think that this was too difficult and too tough a race to take on, but it takes a man of courage, of courage, and a man of integrity. And a man who believes in the future of his own state, which is Zoltan Ferenczi. As he's gone over the round the state, he's talked about the problems of the future, not rested just in the past, but he's talked about the problems of the future and what can be done for the state of Michigan, and what a difference the state of Michigan can make across this country and across this world. I think you should be very proud to have him as the candidate for governor. I also want to just say a brief word about some of the other candidates, if I may. Uh, Frank Kelly, with whom I work closely at the Department of Justice, <laughs> who I, uh, if you just stand up, Frank, so we could all get a chance to. Uh, while I was Attorney General of the United States, I worked closely with him. Nobody was a uh, Harder on organized crime, and nobody made more of an effort than Frank Kelly. And I just want to say how pleased I am. And John Bruff, who was the counsel of the Labor and Education Committee, who's uh, running for uh, lieutenant governor. And again, uh, I don't think uh, because of the experience that he's had that nobody. There is anybody that knows about education, knows more about education, knows more about the problems of labor, knows more about the social problems that are affecting this country than John Bruff. So I'm very pleased that he's uh, running. And Jim Hare, your candidate for Secretary of State, who I've been most pleased to spend the day with. And Congresswoman Griffith, who I've served with and who's made such a Was well known. I know just not only in the state of Michigan, but was very no well known in the Congress of the United States, and I'm very pleased to be with, with her today. <laughs> Billy Farnham, your congressman, who's also been one of those who's led the fight for all the progressive legislation. So I'm pleased to be with him and Billy Ford, who I spent the day with over here. And John Connors, who we've also uh, traveled with, he's in real trouble this time, and I hope that you're going to work for him. They say his vote might be cut down to 85%, and his family feels badly. So, 
And I also want to uh, say one final word about uh, Jim O'Hara. With, uh, who I've worked with closely, but, uh, and who I have the greatest respect for. We had problems and struggles about uh, the civil rights legislation, 1961, 62, and 63, 64, and 65. There was nobody that was there and had better judgment about how to proceed, not only to introduce a bill which would get a headline, but to get some legislation passed. And even going prior to that time, he was one of the four or five congressmen who worked so closely with President Kennedy in labor legislation, and whom I think in the House of Representatives, President Kennedy had the highest admiration. So I'm very delighted to be here with Jim O'Hara. Was Michigan more important politically then than it is now? Boy, that, that is a good question, because I think Detroit certainly was much more influential then, because really those are the, thinking about kind of the electoral pillars for presidential elections in the Midwest, Chicago and Detroit, they were, you know, what you had to have, and huge, huge turnout in, yeah. in both of those cities, um, and certainly Mayor Daley, once he becomes uh, mayor in Chicago, delivers that fairly consistently. In Detroit, it's a, you know not quite as consistent. Um, and things will shift, obviously, in Detroit uh, very significantly in the next year plus. With, with Detroit's own riots happening in 1967. Exactly. So I'm, and I'm delighted to be here in the state of Michigan. As uh, Soapy Williams said, the state of Michigan was an early supporter of John Kennedy in 1960. And with your... Uh, I saw so many people today, so many friends who were strong supporters of uh, John Kennedy prior to the time that it became popular and prior to the time that it was acceptable. And Soapy Williams and the Michigan delegation in Los Angeles stood up, stood like a rock, and made a major difference in Los Angeles, and thereafter made a major difference in carrying the state. So I'm very grateful to be back in the state of Michigan. Woodrow Wilson once said, what is the use as a great political party unless it has a great purpose? And I think that's really what we demonstrated in 1960. I don't think that President Kennedy or Soapy Williams or the Democrats here in the state of Michigan came to the uh, people of Michigan or came to the people of the United States and said, you follow us. You support the Democratic Party and we have the answers to all the problems. None of all the difficulties that you're facing about employment, about race relations, about education, about Medicare, they're all going to disappear if you elect a Democrat. If you elect a Democratic president or elect a Democratic Congress or a Democratic Senate, that's not what was said. President Kennedy came here as a United States Senator, and the other members of the Democratic Party came to the people of the state of Michigan and came across the country and said, not we can answer all the problems, not that the problems will disappear, but they did say that we'll do something about them. First, we'll talk about the problems that affect this country, and then we'll start to deal with them. The President will deal with them, and the Congress of the United States will deal with them. That was the promise that was made in the campaign of 1960, and that promise was kept. I think sometimes as I travel around the country now that people forget the great problems that faced this country in 1958, 1959, and 1960, and the recession that was taking place, the difficulty that existed here in Detroit, in the state of Michigan, in the field of employment, and the fact that we didn't have any Medicare, that we had uh, the people over the age of 65 lived out their lives in trepidation and concern about how they were going to pay their medical bill. Well, after a John Kennedy was elected president of the United States and we had a Democratic Congress and a Democratic Senate, and then continued so ably and so brilliantly by Lyndon Johnson in 1963 and when he was re-elected in 1964, we now have a different country. We did pass Medicare so that our elderly people have that kind of assistance. We did pass federal aid to education where people thought that it wasn't possible because of the split between church and state, between the state government and the federal government. We were able to pass some federal aid to education, which means such, makes such a major difference here in the state of Michigan and really all across the country. We were able to face these major problems. President Kennedy said when he went to the American people, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied that we should be second in space, that we should look at the moon and realize that there was a Russian flag up there, but that there wasn't an American flag, that we had to be, take second place to the Soviet Union or to any country 
in any area that the United States should be first. He said to the American people, I'm not satisfied that we should be the slowest growing industrial nation in the world, that we should have such a high rate of, un of un unemployment. I think that here in the United States that we can do better and that the federal government can play a role and that the federal government can work with labor and can work with management and that this country can move again and that we don't have to stand still and we don't have to be satisfied with the status quo. And I think that's what happened under President Kennedy, the Democratic Party, and Lyndon Johnson. But ladies and gentlemen, that didn't just happen. We didn't just pass that legislation just automatically. That legislation, all of it, was fought on the floor of the House of Representatives, was opposed in the Senate of the United States by the Republican Party. They come at uh, every time in election time and say, we're in favor of all of these uh, programs. We're in favor of Medicare. We're in favor of federal aid to education. We're in favor of the uh, policies to get our economy moving again. We're in favor of the space program. But if you look back and during the 1950s, they weren't saying that. And if you look at their record in the 1960s in the Congresses of the last six years, you'll know they didn't say that and they voted a different way. That's why we need Democrats. And I can't believe, I can't believe the state of Michigan is going to vote the Republican Party in. I can't believe you're going to vote for anybody but Sophie Williams. I can't believe you're going to send a Republican to the Senate of the United States and offset all the good work that Phil Hart does, that you have a Democrat there that's voting aye, who's going on the floor of the United States Senate and saying these are the bills we want, this is the kind of legislation we want, and over on the other side of the aisle you have a Republican who's saying no, we don't want that. I think you want two Democrats and Soapy Williams on the floor of the United States Senate who's fighting for that legislation. Just look at what are the Republicans saying now all across the country in the state of Michigan there for federal aid to education? Did they vote that way? Would you like to know how they voted? You won't be too shocked. Has anybody here got a Republican friend because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings? But do you know what they did? The Democratic delegation led by these dem fine Democrats are on this platform. The Democratic delegation led the fight on the floor of the House of Representatives Fed Federal Aid to Education. Do you know where the Republicans were? They were on the other side. They were fighting against Federal Aid to Education. They fought against it under President Kennedy when he sent his legislation up. They fought against it when President Johnson sent his legislation up. And if it wasn't for these Michigan Democrats, and Democrats like them all over the country, we wouldn't have Federal Aid to Education at the present time. Twelve, dem the 12 Democratic members of the House of Representatives from the state of Michigan voted yes for federal aid to education. The Republicans voted no. I think that's terrible. Do you know what they did in the, in the House generally? Just to show you what the Republican Party stands for. Republicans were 35 to 96, 3 to 1, against federal aid to education. In the, in, on Medicare, the Republican Party in the House of Representatives, again, over the opposition of these Democrats who were all in favor of Medicare, the Republican Party was 65 to 73 against Medicare in the House of Representatives. In the House, Housing Urban Development, again, the Republicans were unanimously, the Republicans for the, from the state of Michigan were unanimously against the Housing and Urban Development, and the Democrats were unanimously in favor of it. And in the Republicans generally, in the House of Representatives, only nine of them voted in favor of the Department of HUD and 118 voted against the Department of HUD. Nobody knows more than Jerry Kavanaugh, one of the outstanding mayors of the United States. Nobody knows more better than he. Nobody knows better than he how important this department is. And yet the Republicans fought against it. When Jerry Kavanaugh came down and appeared before the Congressional Committee, and I might add, no witness made a better impression on the Senate of the United States than did he.
He set forth the problems of Detroit. He set forth the problems of the big cities over the period of the de next decade. And the point that he stressed again and again, and which has to be realized and recognized all across the United States, is that if the cities are going to move forward, if our urban development is going to take place, it's going to have to be a close working relationship with the federal government. And that's what the Republicans have failed to recognize, and that's why we need Sophie Williams in the United States Senate. So for all of these reasons, this is on the record on which the Democratic Party runs. This is what has been accomplished over the period of the last six years. But I don't come to you and say that you should support these Democrats because of this. I think it's important to know what a party stands for. I think it's important to know where a party's going to end up by what their record is. That's why I think you should support the Democrats. But even more importantly than that, it's what's going to happen in the future. The Democratic Party cannot run for what is done in the past. The Democratic Party has to look to the future. The Democratic Party, if it's going to be true to its principles, represents those who are dissatisfied. The Democratic Party must be the dissatisfied. Those who feel that the Michigan, the United States has done well, but that it can do much, much better than it's done in the past. The Democratic Party, the Democratic Party has to recognize our own problems, the problems of races living together, the problems of urban growth, the problems that still exist in the United States of poverty, the problems of our elderly people, and our responsibility all over the globe. To feel the giant agony of the world, and more like slaves to poor humanity, labor for public good. That's what Tennyson said in Ulysses, and that's what has to guide the Democratic Party. Our own responsibility all over the globe, whether it's in Southeast Asia or Africa or Latin America. People there, as in the United States, are dissatisfied when they can't lead a proper life, when they see that their children have not enough to eat or no schools to go to, or go to Northeast Brazil, as I have, and visit small villages there and realize that seven out of 10 children die before the age of one, or visit East Africa, as Menon Williams has and I have, and go to Tanzania, and 97% of the people are illiterate or visit Ethiopia where the life expectancy is 35 years, or where the average yearly income is $40 a year. You wouldn't be satisfied with that. I wouldn't be satisfied with that. The people that are living in those parts of the world are not satisfied with that, and they are looking to the United States, and we have to provide the leadership. And that's what the Democratic Party has to stand for. That's why I'm a strong supporter of these Democrats on the platform today, because I think they've shown through their careers and through their efforts, through their compassion and through their courage, that that's what they stand for. But we look to the future. These other countries and other peoples look to us. We have to find answers and solutions to the problems that affect mankind all over the globe. Otherwise, we're not true to the principles of our party. We're not true to the ideals of the United States. And I think that's what the Democratic Party will do. George Bernard Shaw once said, some people see things as they are and say, why? I dream things that never were and say, why not? I think that's what's going to guide the Democratic Party and Ben and Williams. Thank you very much. Ed, it sounds like uh, at about 12 minutes into the speech, Kennedy starts his his stump speech, like a, uh, a recycled speech that he must have used in other places. So he, he does all the Michigan stuff. And then I th just from listening to it, you can hear where he's written in Michigan instead of whatever, Illinois, Chicago, Poughkeepsie. You think that's right? Sure. To, just for our listeners, it's the point where he starts talking. He he starts with the Woodrow Wilson quote about um, political parties. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like I said, he was. Um, it was kind of a turnstile for him in terms of, of democratic events. And so, yeah, heading into that section where he talks about the difference between the two parties and how you know the Democrats want to invite debate uh, on things, and yet they tend to get things done more than Republicans. You hedge and. Um, very much that was kind of the standard message that he he uh, 
delivered, um, along with kind of the lofty rhetoric about, you know, why he was proud to be a Democrat. And in other speeches, he would he would talk about, um, you know, his brother and why he, he was proud to be part of the oldest party uh, in you know the civilized world. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely a jumping off point. Did you know, hearing him talk about the Democrats as looking to the future, uh, was that that's you know that's the, that'd be common now. Was it common then? Is that how they were known? I would say so. You know, which okay. which is interesting because they had they had been in power, um, and so that that was the the perilous kind of um, road to walk. That you'd been in power, you are the status quo, and yet you're claiming to be the party that is continuing to push for change, whereas the more natural argument is to say, well, change would be getting other folks elected, right? So it was, it was, um, you know, that was the Kennedy brand was always striving and pushing against, you know, doing the things that are hard, going to the moon and all, and all that sort of thing. So Kennedy was the best salesperson for that kind of message. But um, obviously, as things turned out, it wasn't, uh, you know, the message itself wasn't strong enough to you know, hold those majorities. Spoiler alert, um, G. Menon Williams loses his Senate race to Bob Griffin, and Zoltan Ferenczi loses his gubernatorial race to Bill Milliken. The outcome of the election um, was pretty eye-opening for a lot of Democratic officials across the country because um, I guess we talk about sort of wave elections, and um, the Republicans made pretty huge gains uh, in Congress, both houses of Congress. I think they won like 47 seats in the House mm. and picked up several Senate seats. They didn't take control of either House of Congress, but the Democrats had had huge majorities um, for several years uh, in both houses of Congress. They also picked up state houses. And so it was a real warning sign to Lyndon Johnson and to liberals across the country that something Something was going on um, that was maybe beyond what might be expected in a midterm election where usually the party in power um, loses some seats. And um, this was also um, after a year where Lyndon Johnson had accomplished, you know, pretty much everything he said he would in terms of great society legislation, social welfare legislation that dealt with education, um, medical care, Medicare, and uh, um, a lot of legislation that furthered the war on poverty that he had started the year before. So he really had kind of the resume that you would expect that maybe they would have bucked the tide uh, of the party in losing so the other real X factor in terms of developments in 1965, the previous year, was um, really an urban rebellion in the Watts section of Los Angeles, yeah. uh, which lasted for, for days and, and caused a tremendous uh, amount of uh, damage and, and lost lives. And so it was a real, um, the kind of event that made a lot of people who had been sympathetic, uh, but maybe not passionate about Johnson and, and the liberal agenda wonder they passed all this legislation, but yet African Americans seem to be still really unhappy. Maybe we're not going in the right direction here. And so um, it's the discussion of something that people started to call the backlash, which was basically um, white folks who uh, started to get angry about all the social legislation that was meant to deal with the historic inequality for people of color started to feel like, well, not only is this maybe not a good investment, um, where am I in all this? And so this election takes place kind of in the midst uh, of that kind of a dynamic. He also talks a lot about federal aid to education, Medicare, and HUD. Were, were those new concepts at that point? They were, uh, which is interesting for us. You know, we've been listening to those kinds of debates our, our whole lives, but all those things were new. Federal The only federal um, aid to education before um, the mid-60s, there had been, been a bill that Eisenhower had um, signed into law, which really revolved around science education in the midst of the space race and, and the arms race with the Soviet Union during the Cold War. But there was a, things got stickier with education in the mid-60s where, um, you know, would federal funding, could it go to uh, religious parochial schools? How would that be handled? Um, so, so that was new. Um, and certainly um, uh, federal involvement in uh, medical care was new. So Medicare and Medicaid were brand new programs, and, and those had always been uh, stridently resisted um, 
in in Congress, um, and so so that was new. Um, and HUD was a brand new agency uh, yeah. at that point um, in the in the mid '60s, and so federal involvement in things like housing policy um, was new too. Was who was the speech for? Was it was it a pep rally for um, you know uh, uh, Democratic officials? I, it's it's not a giant crowd who's there. Yeah, that's a great question because it's kind of multiple constituencies. Certainly, it, the the real benefit of, of Robert Kennedy being at your event was it, it was going to get national news coverage. I mean, wire services would you know carried everything that he did. So even though this was a Michigan election, this got national coverage. You know, there were, I'm sure there were um, snippets of the speech um, in papers across the country. Um, so, so there is a national constituency to it. There's also certainly what's going on as immediately locally as possible in terms of um, d- the Detroit voters and, and trying to get out the vote, um, but also statewide, where the, the whole state was more in play than the city of Detroit certainly was in terms of um, you know the, the two parties battling it out. I mean, the city of Detroit was solidly Democratic, but obviously the, the Statewide, the Republicans were were more than competitive, um, and were regular, um, you know, uh, election victors. So he was speaking to a lot of people. And one other thing that was really interesting to me, and again, it's fairly representative, is um, speaking at a Catholic university. Um, the University of Detroit, like you know, many uh, major cities across the country, has a significant Catholic university. It's the intellectual center for Catholics in the in the state, oftentimes. Um, but what oftentimes got discussed, especially in the '60s, at kind of the high tide of of um, Vatican II, was social welfare kinds of issues because Catholics were just identified with that. So a lot of what um, your listeners will hear in the speech is uh, what the candidates contributed on issues related to, to social welfare. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for joining us, and I want to alert our listeners that I'm hopeful that when you finish your book on Dick Gregory, uh, that you will join us again because I've got tape of Dick Gregory, too. I would love to. I would love to. And we'll laugh even more, for sure, at that topic. We've been listening to Robert F. Kennedy speaking at the University of Detroit Memorial Building on October 29, 1966. Our guide was Ed Schmidt, an associate professor of history at the University of Wisconsin Parkside in Kenosha. He's the author of President of the Other America, Robert F. Kennedy, and the Politics of Poverty. Callback Yesterday is produced, written, recorded, and directed by John Raby. That's me. Our theme music is performed by The Van Dyke Parks, and our logo was made by Michael Ulencott. Additional support from Bermuda's Projects in Los Angeles. Join me soon for the next episode of Callback Yesterday. Thanks for listening.